I'm Anna. And I'm Foz. We are the Growth Groupies Podcast. And we're questioning the world around us. What up? Uh, <laughs> okay, go. Welcome back, everybody. Today we're... <laughs> Today you're tuning in for a fantastic episode. <laughs> Today we're discussing... Hustle culture! Today we are questioning hustle culture. Foz, what are your thoughts? I think as a blanket statement for this conversation, I just want to say that my idea of hustle culture and productivity was way different pre-pandemic mm-hmm. than it is like post-pandemic and, yeah. and all of the years following 2020. So mm-hmm. I think in my so mind true. there's like the before and yes. then the after. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, and some of that might have to do with, uh, well, I graduated from pharmacy school in 2020, so Basically, my whole life leading up to that was like a race to the finish through school. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I kind of had to reevaluate, you know, what does your life look like post-grad and mm-hmm. pandemic and, and all of that other stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, what are your initial thoughts? I think I definitely... So just as like a general family dynamic, like no specific people, we have a family dynamic where women... I don't really know as much about the men because I'm not a man and there's mm. not really very many men to be honest like most of my grandmother had like daughters most of the daughters had daughters so there's just like, a lot of yeah. women so I'm not really sure what, like the male perspective is in our family on this but definitely like women I love pause I love this idea like the things they didn't know they taught us I love that mm. phrase and Living my best life, I'd write a book called The Things I Didn't Know They Taught Us about this idea. You can still write it. Yeah, I'm going to! 2022! It's 2023! (laughs) 2023! Yeah, uh, we're recording this January 5th, 2023, just for the historians out there. Um, I have ADHD, so I'm always be getting all the facts wrong constantly. (laughs) I like the energy, though. It's good energy. Um... And I love this idea that like parents and even just like adults and mentors like pass on these painful beliefs without even realizing that they're passing them on to the next generation because they believe them as truth so much so it's like trying to know the oxygen notice the oxygen in the room mm. like you can't notice the oxygen. you know when it's gone <laughs> but you know when it's gone but like you can't notice oxygen because it's all around it's like david foster wallace no idea who he is but i love what he said he was like like you can't explain water to a fish because a mm. fish is just like always in water yeah just like you can't like really like imagine like you don't notice the oxygen because it's just always there and i think that these toxic beliefs that families pass down from one generation to the next are very similar like nobody would consciously pass these down no loving caring adult figure would pass these down consciously it's kind of like the intentions versus perception you can have certain intentions but the perception is on the person yeah, receiving that like for sure they're gonna have a and i outlook. think that these like fundamental beliefs or like limiting beliefs really affect like how we perceive things and how we perceive things differently based on like our family's assumptions about life and so and also i think it is fair to say that sometimes these are passed down intentionally because they're a toxic there's a toxic family dynamic and these beliefs keep everybody in check mm-hmm. not saying that's true all the time but i think it's just like needs to be recognized that sometimes that is at play but 
my family definitely believes that women earn our worth by being skinny, mm. which was really um, like exaggerated then by growing up dancing. It was yeah. like being skinny was all around me, and it really, really messed me up. Well, I was on your dance team, and I wasn't skinny, <laughs> so that's so like, a consolation. Oh, okay. Pause. You were skinny, but the fact that you thought that you weren't is like the point in itself. No, that's an over like that's a ongoing theme is like yeah, looking back at dance pictures and being like I was the big one on the team. Yeah. <laughs> like, um I don't but wanna, like, yeah. like okay, I guess I'm not fully understanding. Like in in but like <laughs> I feel like in my mind you were skinny, but like you did like body dysmorphia. Is that we're kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, for for the listeners, um, <laughs> you know, in addition to looking at yourself every day in a mirror. I mean, Anna and I danced like basically every single day of the week, like yeah. twenty hours a week, kind of thing. And you're standing in front of the mirror in a like a leotard, a leotard and tights. Not mm-hmm. to mention, when you're performing, you're wearing even smaller costumes. Yeah. Someone is coming in and taking your measurements. Every girl's in a line. Yeah. You get your costumes all together at the same day. You're just expected to just change. Sometimes the costume doesn't fit. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. not, like, supportive, like, whatever it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going through puberty at different times. Like, mm-hmm. it can be kind of a harrowing experience. Oh, yeah. And there is this, I think there's a subconscious bias that a lot of people aren't aware of that skinny people are favored in dance. Yeah, I think that's definitely an old an old stereotype. Um, I also think it's probably like a subconscious thing that whether people, you know, know it or not, they have Mm. kind of that, that feeling. Um, And I guess like specifically when we're talking about dance, we're talking about like the dance experience that we grew up in. So that was like a studio where it's very like jazz, ballet, lyrical point. Like obviously there's lots of kinds of dance. Yes. We grew up competitively dancing, you know, a couple competitions a year, recital. Mm. Um, And I think... I don't want to speak for both of us, but I, I definitely had a positive experience. Some mm-hmm. of these things are just come along with the territory. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I guess people who don't know me know that I'm just really honest. Mm-hmm. And so I dance like saved my life and I love dance so much. And I feel it really gave me a sense of community mm-hmm. that forever changed my life. And a lot of my closest friends mm-hmm. I danced with. So dance was definitely like net positive but I was really susceptible to the inherent skinny culture that dance historically has Mm -hmm. really been a part of because my family also really values skinniness and so I think that and it's not to say that like I think it's, like, a thing with, the, with, like, the dance culture. I don't think it has to be, like, anything with, like, a specific studio. Yeah. I mean, pink tights literally date back to, like, France and valuing white people yeah. more and wanting to make people more white. So that's why the pink ballerina tights were created. So I'm not talking about, like, I'm not talking about, like, like, a, like our studio at all. Yeah, like, I no. love our studio so much. I'm talking more about, like, dance culture in general. Yeah. And it just already was pre-existing in the dance culture from, like, centuries back. And I think we're working really actively to change it. Mm -hmm. Also, I think I was more susceptible because my family also, for generations, have greatly valued being skinny. Yeah, so you've got that going on at home, and then you're also seeing it play out Mm -hmm. at dance. 
um, and kind of seeing the benefits or drawbacks that yeah. your body may or may not have yes. in those different environments. And I like genuinely always hated my legs because they were like too thick. Like I seriously have like a lot of body, like body like dysmorphia and like body shame. But hustle culture, my family believes that like, and nobody would say these things. Like it took me until I was like an adult mm. to realize these things because they're never said out loud. But like my like grandmother would tell me like, stop eating Anna, you're going to get fat. Or mm-hmm. she'd be like, Anna, if you keep eating, like you're going to be fat. And she'd be like, like she would say those things a lot. Or like when you walk in the door, it's like, oh, there's more of you. Or like, oh, there's less of you. Or like, oh, you look really good. Have you lost some weight? Yeah. Like. It was just always being talked about. Which, I mean, and maybe this is too much of a tangent, like, I try to more endorse, like, a body neutrality. Like, I try to make it my best practice to not comment whether I perceive it as positive or Mm -hmm. negative, any changes. Mm Because you never know if someone is sick, what Mm -hmm. they're going through, and that kind of thing. But when you're hearing that stuff growing up, you must be thinking, oh, this is good. When I do this, it's good. It's praised. Mm -hmm. And when... You know, something else happens, it's it's looked negatively, or you hear how mm-hmm. they're talking about other people maybe outside the family, yes. changes that they might be going through, mm-hmm. um, all the while you're literally growing because you're a kid whose mm-hmm. job is to grow. I mean, yeah. yeah. And just the fact that it's talked about so often teaches you that it's important. Yes. So do you think that, in, and maybe this is too much of a jump, That's that right. in your family, like the, the thinness and that aesthetic is also tied into a sense of productivity and like hustling. So that's what I was going to say. There are two ways that earn, women earn their worth. Okay. Being skinny mm-hmm. and by being productive. Mm. So it's so funny because so many like family members are like kind of like workaholics, right? Like mm-hmm. never really relax. And like truly like I... Everyone likes to talk about how busy they are. Talk about how busy they are. Like, mm-hmm. me and, like, a bunch of my cousins were trying to, like, get together one time. And we all whip out our calendars. And they're, like, blocked solid. Mm-hmm. Like, in 30-minute increments. Yeah. Like, like, and I was like, wow. Like, I didn't realize that, like, you guys do your schedule like this, too. And then we kind of, like, got into this conversation about, like, wow. Like, yeah, I feel like... It is something that we just value, like that, mm-hmm. like hustle and that productivity. And then I feel like we got more like introspective and we're reflecting on like culture at large. And mm-hmm. I think culture at large has this value on like you earn your worth first and foremost. And I think we need to pause there because I was talking with someone who was who is from China and moved here when he was 10 to the States. Mm-hmm. And he, we're just being like, philosophical and he was like well don't you assume that everybody's good Mm. and I go no I grew up catholic and so Mm. my religion (laughs) believes that everybody is born bad and you need to be saved saved by Jesus you need to redeem yourself and that really like is a huge part like my family is extremely religious Mm. and so like our fundamental belief is that you are born bad Mm. and God helps you like God will make you pure again like through God's love and God will love you no matter how flawed you are. But you were born inherently sinful. And just like that first ideology, mm-hmm. I think is so significant. Because if you believe that people are inherently good or inherently bad, is the foundation of so much. So like in my family, it's like the Bible tells us that we are born sinful. 
That's why we have baptism. To clean our soul in case mm. we die as a child. And that's why, and just in case we die, we have a chance to get to heaven. If a baby dies before they have baptism, they're going to hell because they never had a chance to clean their soul. Yeah, I think that was my argument in my faith statement I had to make for confirmation. In your what? Oh, your faith statement? We had to have a faith statement, and mine was basically like a five-paragraph essay that was like, I don't know if this is true, but <laughs> um, one of the paragraphs was like, you're telling me that a baby yeah, who is sinful. like the most purest thing yeah. is going to go to hell because they didn't mm. get baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's maybe just a tangent. And but. so, no, so true. And so, like, in my family, like, we're, we're religious. And so it's, like, we're Christians. So, like, we believe that, like, you're born. Well, I guess, like, I shouldn't speak for everyone. Like, my yeah. grandparents were Catholic mm-hmm. on both sides. Nice. And my immediate family stayed Catholic. Okay. So maybe Christianity is, like, more accepting. But, like, in Catholicism, it's, like, you are born sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore... You don't just inherently have worth and value. Mm. Your worth and value must be earned. And how you earn that is by being skinny, by pleasing people, <laughs> like all, the whole family were people pleasers, um, and by being productive, by like working. Because if you're not working to earn your value, then you have no value because you are inherently sinful. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is also like intermixed with like traditional american values yes, 100%. of like hard work and like yes. dig yourself out yes. kind of thing i, I don't know I, 100% and that's where like, i think like i i feel like people who don't know me like this might sound harsh but truly like i'm not judging like i think that like nobody's at fault because mm-hmm. it goes back to like my, i know this because my mom taught me my mom taught yeah. me because her parents taught like her parents taught her like my grandmother knows this because her grandma her mom taught her and her mom taught her and it goes back like so no one's at fault. We're just all part of this system and this society mm-hmm. that values that. Like, American culture totally values being skinny and totally values being productive. So really, like, my family is just, like, a mirror of soci- of American society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are my initial thoughts. <laughs> I think mine was a little more brief. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, you could just tell me, like, hey, Anna, no. can you pause so I can talk? No, that was fantastic. I, mean, I will run. I will, like, logoria. I don't know if that's a verb. I think it's a noun. Maybe it's a verb. I have it's an a idea, tremendous right? logoria. But if you sure. said I logoria, which sounds disgusting. <laughs> I do it daily. Oh, God. All day, every day. And I guess it's a verb there. Yeah. We don't need to get into that. So, the, the for people who don't it. know, logoria means verbal diarrhea. And I have, I'm a person with ADHD, and that explains my existence most of the time. <laughs> Also, can we just pause? Can you imagine what it's like to be a student in my class? I'm just like ranting on all these like word vomit tangents, and I'm they're sure like it's five though. years old. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. I mean, I mean, I, well, first of all, I probably placed way too much value on being a student and being good at school when I was growing up. But I always was like, okay, like teachers are amazing. How do I like? You know, not in like a cringy teacher's yeah. pet way, just in like, okay, we've got work to <laughs> oh, do. Oh, I bet you're a teacher's <laughs> pet. Hey, that's how. That, okay, I mean. can we pause and have a real life chat here? Sure. Being a teacher's pet is such a life skill that directly correlates to success in the real world. Is because that studied by like no, a study or is that 
everything I, as a teacher. Everything I say, most things I say are just made up in my own mind. It's so all anecdotal. All anecdotal. It's all anecdotal. Oh, okay. <laughs> so fact check everything. Really, I'm just planting seeds. Yeah. Tell, fa- let me know. I want to know if I'm wrong, truly. So, like, mm. call me out. Sound off in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in a nice way, like, I have feelings too, you know? Be like, hey, Anna, that's actually not true. Love that. Don't, like, bash me, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm a human of feelings. We only have our own worldview, so. Yeah, and I only found out that people can hear voices and see things in their head, like, a year ago. So, really, I'm just, like, fresh to this whole, like, full earthly experience. But, what I was going to say... You're going to pause and ask me about being a teacher's pet. I Thank think. you. Because I think that's such a real life. I think that's like the, one of the most valuable skills you can have. And I feel like it correlates to the real world because the real world is all about who you know, all about networking. And so if you have, if you have really strong like teacher pet skills, I feel like that translates to like really strong networking skills, like networking with the people who are in charge of you. Like that is like the greatest skill in corporate America. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I think some of the skills, some of them, yeah, I think I agree. There's like an overlap, but I also think some of the things that made me successful as a student don't always translate because, um, I guess generally speaking, you know, like not in like a children are meant to be seen and not heard way, but like, you know, I'm very put your nose down, just do the work. You don't need to be schmoozing. You don't need to be brown nosing, Mm -hmm. you know, just put out quality work and be nice Mm -hmm. to people and you'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes that doesn't always play into the quote unquote office politics, but yeah, people can usually see through it. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'm often wrong. I personally really feel like brown nosing and schmoozing, like, is why people get what they get. Well, if you don't ask, it's always a no. That's something that I'm trying to get over because I always give myself the no before like even anyone else, you know, like. Um, for those that might be curious, which of course no one is, um, I recently switched jobs and moved to a bigger city or back to a bigger city where I'm originally from. Now we live nine minutes away from each other. <laughs> yes. In a location we're not going to disclose so that you won't kill us in our sleep. Okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Uh, but anyway, I was so stressed about even just applying for this job as if like, what if they say no? And it's like, of course, if I don't apply, the answer is no, mm-hmm. you know? I have so, a question. Oh, sure. You can't see I'm raising my hand. Sorry, you finish your thought first. No, I mean, no, no, no. I'm no. working on not interrupting people. No, no, no. That's that's all my that's I'm ready for the question. Why is hearing no bad? I feel like I go, this is not answering the question directly. <laughs> I feel like I sometimes I go as far as to be like, I won't even verbalize what I want. Why? Because then it will be a no and then I will look dumb for saying mm-hmm, that you um, just for as an example, um, like I've probably alluded to a thousand times, I'm a pharmacist. So after pharmacy school, mm-hmm. um, pharmacists can elect to do a residency, which is additional postgraduate training. It's preferred, but not required. And it kind of just depends on where you see yourself practicing. Regardless, it's an extremely competitive process. Yeah. I was so stressed to even tell people that I'm applying or that that's even something that I want yeah. because I was afraid, well, what happens if I don't get this? And what are you afraid of? Like maybe like, the rejection. Yeah, that's what I I struggle with that one a lot. That's what I realized. There's a lot yeah. of things. Like even just coming over here to do this podcast, I was like afraid, and I was like, Anna, what are you afraid of? And I was like, that Foz is gonna like think that you're stupid and reject you. Like, no. that's just like 
probably isn't gonna happen you know what I yeah, mean yeah no that's but not gonna I, happen even though like, logically it seems so silly it really drives a lot of my behavior on a subconscious and emotional level yeah I mean and I maybe that's one of those things like how people are wired as as humans I mean you have yes. to have a certain sense of that Yes. Or else people would just be like brazen and like <laughs> gluttonous and like crazy. Like I don't know. Like, yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's yeah, there is things. like a social benefit that it makes. Like to care about what other people think about you allows you to like get along with with a social group better. But I think like all things in life, it's a balance. Like too much of it is paralyzing and crippling. But then like not enough, you might be like annoying and very like selfish and nobody cares but that's the thing one person's perception of what's annoying is going to be different than another person's i mean that's why there's like different like you're not people can be friendly to everyone but you're not friends with everyone oh and i feel like my personality really emphasizes that like some people love me and some people hate me (laughs) yeah but think about so I'm sure as the listeners will gather. Um, Anna is a little bit more boisterous and slightly more outgoing, probably. I have, I have ADHD. Like, I, it's just infused my body. It's like, I don't really know if I believe in God, but for this analogy, let's say I believe in God. I feel nice. like God just, like, gave me, like, an extra few volts when he, like, made me. He's like... Which which is nice because, <laughs> you know, I, I do pretty well with listening, I think, mm-hmm. usually. I don't want to, you know. But I was like, I feel like I, like, eat listeners like i just like destroy them because i just like ha- i logaria <laughs> i need to look at that word i think i'll be already a tv show so let's hopefully it's a real thing yeah <laughs> I, I, it's just a fun word logaria it's so fun <laughs> i'm sorry okay so you're just a great listener well i mean i can be it yeah. depends i guess who i'm with be but. confident you are a great listener own it so oh what, what yeah I have, I have confidence issues i think that's what i'm gonna come across too <laughs> well, i have listening issues so <laughs> uh, okay, so anna's really loud and you're more quiet yeah i don't even know if quiet's right i think i'm just a little bit more reserved usually but I feel like you were getting to a point, and then I totally cut you off because oh, I'm bad at interrupting. No, no, that's okay. I'm sure if it's important, it'll come back. If it's not. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. No, this is like my worst flaw as a human. No, no, no. I no, it's it's all good. Um, I don't really know. I can't remember what I was getting at, but um, I guess it, just to go back to my my opening line was <laughs> I have definitely noticed changes in. In productivity or even my general pace after the pandemic after mm-hmm. things have slowed down a mm-hmm. little bit um and I used to book myself up completely I mean I would you know you wake up really early maybe get a workout in before mm-hmm. going to, to work go to work come back I'd have to study I'd have mm-hmm. to do x y and z extracurricular because I have mm-hmm. to have everything look good for residency applicant you know like mm-hmm. you have to keep adding stuff to your plate but mm-hmm. now that things have kind of slowed down a little bit in my adult life mm-hmm. you know kind of pick and choose but then it's like well am I not reaching a, you know what are my new goals mm-hmm. are there different goals I, I don't know aren't they important so I, don't know. I feel personally that a lot of like I hustle because I think once I achieve whatever I'm striving for then I will be happy then I will be lovable and I think the hustle culture really centers around this idea of worth Mm. and I think that I mean COVID changed my life as 
we talked about in the first episode and that really gave me like this whole journey like delved me into this journey also i misuse words all the time so just don't don't judge me enjoy it um (laughs) i have this like notorious habit of blending like the first and the last sound of two different words that could have both been used in the sentence. Is it because you're talking so fast that you're Probably. just trying to get it all out? Or, I mean, <laughs> Probably. So true. It, anyway, it's, so true. The, the listeners will know. <laughs> um, and I think that hustle culture is like centered around this like worth. And I yeah. think that worth comes down to this like I'm just trying to be happy. And I think when I'm worthy, then I'll finally feel happy. Because yeah. like we are just these little specks floating on another speck around the sun like we're all horn hears a who dr seuss questionable but great idea (laughs) like okay i love dr seuss but like some of his books were like racist you know Uh, yeah i haven't delved into the literature (laughs) in my adult life uh but but horn hears a who and the lorax i really appreciate those stories Hmm. imagine that we're just like a little speck on a little flower I mean, we pretty much are. We're just a little speck on a rock floating around in the sun, right? So we're tiny, insignificant. I'm not religious. Haven't been for like a few years. But I would say I'm spiritual. So I could believe in like a greater power most days. Some days not. Just like, why are we really here? But Mm. as long as I'm here, I want to feel enjoyable feelings. Mm. I'll just like call that happiness. But do you think that there's like a either like a delayed gratification until you reach the goal or that your like life is kind of on pause until you reach the goal or are you still like living your life? Because mm. I fall into the trap where I'm like, once I finish school, then my life can really start. Mm. Once I finish residency, mm-hmm. then I'll be great. Once I move, everything will be yeah. fine. And it's like, your life is still happening in between. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff I put off because I'm like, it's not the right time, but yeah. there's never a right time. And I think that really is the key. Like, I think once you're enlightened, you're like, well, like, you're living your life. It's like Hannah Montana. It's about the climb. Um, <laughs> you did not know that reference? Well, no. I know it's the song, climb. but I'm trying to think if it's Hannah Montana or Miley Cyrus. And, like, Miley I didn't grow up listening to that music. Oh, so my God. I, I was don't obsessed. Know. Well, there's all girls in your family, apparently. I have a brother, so oh, yeah. you can't really just be yeah. listening to anything. But, anyway. So I think that it really is. I feel like it's like I thought that like once I like achieved these goals or if I hustled hard enough that I would feel good enough and then I would finally be happy. But I feel like real happiness, as the pandemic has taught us, actually comes from less hustle, more time with yourself, more time to think, mm. which is really uncomfortable at first because you have to deal with like a lot of emotional baggage and like really confront yourself. But I feel like the true happiness comes from just being at peace with yourself. Yeah. Which I think requires, like, time alone and time to be bored. Yeah, there's definitely... Frankly, I feel like I've almost had too much self-reflection <laughs> um, in the past few years. I mean, it's it's wonderful, but boy, <laughs> can it be dark? Boy, I know myself <laughs>